The housing crisis is a vast web of overlapping problems and failings. It's becoming a feature of modern Britain. But as the economy continues to flounder, the crisis is taking new forms and dragging more people in. In this week's episode of the iPodcast, we're joined by our housing correspondent, Vicky Spratt, who's uncovered a scandal about how mothers and children are being treated by the very authorities they've turned to for help. Vicky, thanks so much for joining us. To start, when we talk about the housing crisis, and this is a big question, what do we mean? Thanks for having me on the podcast again, Molly. It's good to be back, although not good to be talking about this issue again. I think I think when we talk about the housing crisis, people know that there's a huge problem, right? They know that buying a home is unaffordable. They know that rents are really expensive. They know that renting is unstable. They probably also know that rough sleeping is rising. They might be seeing that wherever they live. I've been seeing tents on the street near my house. And I know that that's happening all around the country. But I think what so often is not considered is what we're here to talk about today, which is sometimes called hidden homelessness. I really don't like that term because people can never really be hidden. Somebody affected by what we're going to talk about today might have served you your coffee this morning. They might work in the restaurant you ate in last night. They might be a teacher at your kid's school. They are not hidden, but they are also homeless. We've spoken about this extensively, as you've said, but you've been investigating a kind of new and very concerning facet, which we're going to talk about today. Tell us a bit about what you've been finding. So I, along with Albert, um, our brilliant, brilliant video producer, have been travelling around meeting people who are homeless. They've generally been evicted by Section 21, no fault eviction. Let's not forget, as we've discussed before, that has been promised to be banned by the Conservatives since 2019, but we're still waiting on the legislation that will bring that into force. So these people have been evicted by landlords. Often they are low income, but they are in work generally, and they can't afford to rent privately because rents are so high. So they have been plunged into homelessness and they have turned, as they should, to their local council for help and only been told that the help available to them might sound like a solution, but it's actually something that is going to create a whole host of problems for them. That's where we are now. That's how bad things are. If you become homeless and you turn to your local authority, they might offer you housing, but it's going to create more problems for you. And in the interim, while you're waiting to be offered housing, the people we've been speaking to are in temporary accommodation that looks like B&Bs and hostels. This is completely unsuitable, particularly for families with children. Most of the people I've been speaking to are mothers and their kids because you might have a shared bathroom, shared kitchen. One of the mums that we're, we're going to hear from and talk about today actually said that her kid had a urinary tract infection because they were in a hostel with a shared bathroom, too scared to go to the toilet. The number of people who are being made homeless is rising and that is forcing more and more people into temporary accommodation like the, the B&Bs and the hostels that I've just described. 104,510 
homeless households, some of those are families with kids, were living in temporary accommodation at the end of March this year. Molly, that's a 25-year high and far greater than the number than when the Conservatives took power in 2010. The total number of children, 131,370, is at the highest level since records began. Well, let's hear from the first family that you've been speaking to. Just tell us about who we're going to hear from. First, we're going to hear from Rim. She is a mother of two from West London who faces an impossible decision. Hi, Rim. So nice to meet you properly. I'm Vicky. This is my colleague, Albert, from the paper. I'm Rim. Do you want shoes off? It's okay. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm with my shoes. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you again. Are you ready to write my name here? Please have a seat. This is Albert. Sorry. No, don't worry. Please, I never had to do Water, tea, coffee, something, please. Rim, so you became homeless in 2021. And since then, with your two really young children, you've lived in a bed and breakfast and you've been in privately rented accommodation and now you're staying with a relative. How has that been for you? What impact has that had on you? It was been very, very difficult, for, not only for me, for my two child. The first one, even his behavior in the school is a change. The second one, we go emergency twice monthly because she has a problem in her kidney. And twice monthly, she gets antibiotic for 23 months, still now. And we know that she has a problem with kidney because Mesa, she get urine infection in 2019, Till today, she's under control. She has to go to St. Mary Hospital every six months. Do you think her health problems are connected to where you've been living? Of course. Why do you think that is? Because we share toilets, okay, and we share kitchen. We share everything. Just the room, we don't share it with people. And this was in a bed and breakfast? In bed and breakfast. So quite difficult for a little girl to go to the toilet when she it's needs It's very to. difficult. For her, she has to ask me all the time, and I have to wake up even in the night to clean the toilet because it's men and women. We are not only women at home. We are mixed. We have even people, they are, they was be sick there. Did you worry about what living in that temporary accommodation was doing to your children's health? Of course, I'm, I'm very worried about that. It was be very difficult to go every twice monthly to the hospital, the emergency, and back at four morning, six morning, seven morning, okay? And with that, you have to go to school as well. If she's sick, she stay with me, but he's not sick, he have to go to school. I have to travel from Hayes to Hanwell for one hour. So they moved day. you an hour away from the children's school? Yes. And Rem, why did you and your children become homeless? Because the landlord, for the rain is coming very up and we cannot do it. So when they moved you to Hayes, which is over an hour away from your kid's school, then to Southall, which is no closer to the school, this is all temporary accommodation while mm. you've been homeless for over a year. Bed and a breakfast. And they've offered you somewhere else. Where is it? In Halifax, West Yorkshire. So that's about four hours. Four hours drive. and a half from London. What did you say when they offered you Halifax? I said I was be happy. When she called me, we offered you a house in Halifax. I don't know Halifax. I don't know any place here. The most far place I know it one hour and a half from London. 
when they offered you Halifax, you were very worried about what this would mean in terms of disruption yes. for your children. What did the council say to you? Is your business? We cannot offer you anything. If you refuse it, we will stop your rent and you will be the, the responsible that you choose to be homeless. So they said if you don't accept the move to Halifax and change your children's school, move away from their dad, your friends, support network, everything, four and a half hours away, you said no, and they said if you do that, we won't help you because you will have made yourself intentionally homeless. Yes. So, Vicky, Rim is being told that she needs to leave her home in London and move up to Yorkshire. What is going on? Yeah, it's a good question, Molly. What on earth is going on when a mother of two with kids in school and family in London is being told they've got to move hundreds of miles away to a place where they don't know anyone at all? This is called an out-of-borough or an out-of-area placement. Now, it's something that has, has existed for a long time and it is a scandal and has long been one. Local authorities used to place particularly ex-offenders out of borough, which is obviously not great because it means they will really struggle to get back on their feet without support network or people they know in an area that they're not familiar with. But increasingly, families are also now being moved out of their area. It is devastating when this happens to people. I really, really cannot stress that enough. We put in some freedom of information requests to find out just how common this is. And sadly, they have shown that it is incredibly prevalent. So our FOI data shows that over 21,000 homeless households from London boroughs were placed in out-of-area temporary accommodation in the first quarter of this year alone. 21,000 households. Let's just sit with that for a minute. These include, as I've just said, some of England's most vulnerable people. They're not inherently vulnerable. They're being made vulnerable by a system that is not properly supporting them. Single parents, people with complex needs, children, people fleeing domestic abuse and ex-offenders, like I just mentioned. Based on our data, we estimate that the 21,000 households I've just mentioned contain around 53 1,900 people who have been displaced. That's what this is. It's displacement. It's taking people from everything they know and just chucking them somewhere else. It is a London problem and the housing crisis is particularly acute in London. As we all know, it's kind of the epicentre of, of this huge, huge problem that we've got. But this issue of out-of-area placements is by no means limited to London. So what the FOIs also showed is that between January 2022 and October 2022, 26 local authorities, including London councils, but also some in the Midlands and the north of England, placed an average of 130 households containing people they classified as vulnerable in out-of-area accommodations. Well, you can find all of those stats in Vicky's article on inews.co.uk, but it's always about more than the stats, isn't it, Vicky? Yeah, if I'm really honest, Molly, I've, I've, been, I've been giving a lot of talks lately and being asked to appear on a lot of political panels in Westminster. I did one the other week with Labour's um, shadow homelessness minister. And everybody talks about these huge numbers. We've just talked about 
tens of thousands of people and I'm feeling increasingly like that sort of just washes over me even like okay I know it's really bad what does that mean every single one of those numbers is a person with a life and their life is being ruined by the fact that we don't have enough affordable stable housing I'm going to talk to you about somebody that I met while doing this investigation her name is Blessing She is a mother of two young children, one of whom has been diagnosed with autism and has complex needs and needs specialist support. Her husband is a local council worker in London. They were living in East London and they were moved out to Kent on the other side of the M25 to Greenhithe, away from the schools of her children, the specialist support that helps her get through the day that is going to make sure that her autistic child is able to flourish away from her partner's job, which is how they earn money. It was one of the most absurd situations I have ever encountered. Hi, I'm Vicky. Hi, Vicky. So nice to meet you. Do you want us to take our shoes off? Oh, yes, please. Yes. Blessing, when were you made homeless? Um, we were made homeless on the 24th of May this year, 2023. And what happened? You lived in a house that had been converted into flats and one day your landlord just evicted everyone, right? Yeah, so my landlord served everyone in the building at Section 21. Mm. At that time, we've lived in the house for eight years. And yes, so... So that Section 21 eviction notice has started a chain of events that brings us to where we're sitting today, which is in Kent. Yeah more than an hour away from your old home yep and you're living here with your two young children yep and my husband and your husband and he's commuting three hours a day to work work, how far away are we from your children's school so because my daughter does not really like bus so if i go by if we go by bus it would take us like two hours plus but if we get on the train which is more expensive it should be about an hour plus. And she doesn't just not like the journey. Your daughter is autistic, isn't she? Yeah, so, yeah, because of her um, autism, um, she's not able to sit still. And when it gets too much for her, she'll start having a meltdown. So that's all too much to handle on the bus. On the train, yes, definitely. She still have a meltdown, but I know that, okay, it's not going to be that long. Blessing, how many places have you lived in since you got that eviction notice? Can you talk me through it? So, the day that Bailey came to the house, all our stuff were outside. We didn't know where we were going. And um, we ran the council. The council said, well, don't worry. We'll call you. We'll let you know where you're going. We're like, oh, but we're outside. And then they rang me around three, after three, they're about to say to me that they've got a place for me in Travel Lodge in um, Croydon. Okay, so first stop, was tra- after all your stuff being put out in the street yeah. by bailiffs, yeah. is the Travel Lodge in Croydon. How yes. far away was that from the school? Oh, that was one hour, 30 minutes to two hours. Mm. Still the same journey. 
I went to the council and I said to, I spoke to a lady that I can't remember her name and I said to her, how do you expect me to take my kids to school? And she said, well, you love to because that's the only place we have. And I said, well, my daughter doesn't like travel, the noises and that. She was like, well, you're just going to have to do it because that's the only place we go. And you told the council that your daughter was autistic? Oh, yes. They're quite aware of my daughter's needs. Were you all in the same room in the travel Yeah, we were put, yeah, we were given one room in travel lodge. So it was you, dad, mm. your son, how old is your son? My son is eight now, then he was seven. And the daughter is? Um, she's five, going to six. And how long were you in that room? So we were there for at least a month. From Croydon, mm-hmm. where were you moved? So from Croydon, uh, they moved us to um, Green Heights. That's where we are now. Green Hive. Green, Green, Green Hive. Green Hive, yeah. So they so moved us to Green Hive. Yeah. We are over an hour away yeah. from London. Yeah. We are somewhere where it's not easy to get back yeah. to Woolwich, to the school. Yeah. And what about your friends and, and family and your support network? So, Can you get to them? No. So if I want to get to them... I'll have to obviously make a day trip. But that's not really my concern. My major concern is how I'm getting my children from here to school in Woolwich and then my husband getting to work. And then, because I don't have a home in Woolwich, I can't drop them and come back home. So what do you do while they're So I hang around. So I'll take drop off my son at school, hang around, wait for 12 o'clock, half 12, then take my daughter to the library for her tutor. After that, pick my daughter up, then go and pick my son up. And come, come home again. Yeah. How many hours would that journey take you in total? When we leave the house at half seven, we are home at half seven. How does all of this make you feel? It's made me feel like I'm not here to demand and then, behind, then things be handed over to me. But... I don't like the way I've been treated because um, if I didn't have a child that have a special needs, right, I would have gone out there and get a job just like my husband and work full time and I would be able to provide for my family. I love her, but I felt bad because I felt like this is all my fault because I sh- with me and my husband, we should be able to provide for our kids. We wanted this amount of children. We have them now. And now we can't provide them with what they want. We're not the sort of couples that would sit around and wait for hands out. We want to work. We want to do things. But with my daughter and her needs, especially when she hasn't been in school for a year, I can't do nothing. I'm just stuck. Before the eviction, were things easier? It wasn't easy, but it wasn't this bad. Get my daughter. Hello. Get a tissue for her next Get a tissue. Vicky, why is this happening? What are the councils saying that they're doing this for? Because as we've discussed, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I think that's that's a huge 
point that we just need to unpack for a second because not only is it going to have an impact on the receiving authority when one council moves people to another because for instance in Blessing's case she's got children with complex needs they're going to need specialist support they're going to need school places she's going to need support because the whole thing's taking a toll on her mental health it's going to have an impact on the local authority that she's been moved to and then Eventually, when they do get moved back, if they get moved back, that could be months, in some cases years, any problems that have been caused by this displacement, mental health issues, health issues, perhaps stunting the development of her children. Children in temporary accommodation often develop health problems and behavioural problems as well. When they move back to their London borough, the support teams there are going to have to pick up the pieces and deal with all of that. So it really, really does not make sense. So why are local councils doing something that is so clearly ridiculous and actually probably not only going to ruin lives, but cost them money and take up valuable services in the long run? Because it's completely counterproductive. I've been speaking to a lot of the councils that came up in the FOIs and they all say they just do not have enough social housing so it's not that they think this is a smart idea it's that they have no other options that's what they're telling me and many of them in their responses said we urge the government to help us we need more social housing that was the message that the councils had and in the case of the two women that we've heard from rim blessing what have their councils said to you about their cases So RIM's counsel, which is Ealing, said that they were reviewing her case, but they insisted that the offer of the house in Yorkshire was suitable for her. And when I spoke to Blessing's counsel, which is Greenwich, she was moved back to the borough. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so she is happy, she's back in the borough, ready for her kids to go back to school in the autumn. But not everyone is as lucky as Blessing. So Stacey is a mother of two She is from South London, from Lewisham, and she has been moved out to Hemel Hempstead, which is far away from the father of her children, from her support system, from her brother, and crucially, from her job as a key worker, as a care worker in Peckham. Well, let's listen to what Stacey has to say. Stacey, what did the council say to you? Well, they said mean that I have to take the property. If I don't take it, then they will relieve me of the responsibility, so I'll be on my own. How did you feel when they said that to you? I was, I feel very stressed. Like, I had no choice. If I don't take it, I'll be like on the street with my kids. I have no choice except to just pack up and come down here. Here is Hemel Hempstead. ML, yes, Hemel Hempstead. We are... An hour and a half away from Lewisham, from Deptford. What are you missing about Deptford? My family, all my families and friends are in Lewisham, Deptford. All my support team are, are there as well. You've just had a baby, six months old. Yeah. This is when you need your family and friends around you. Yeah, that's true. All my friends and my daughter's father used to help me a lot when I had a baby, before I had a baby. And since I moved down here, I had no support because it's kind of difficult because you have to work like seven days a week in London. So it's a struggle to get down here. Has he been able to visit? 
once. How do you feel about the fact that they've moved you hours away from everything you know? Um, when I got the eviction letter, I just had baby, like two months. And when I went to uh, approach them, they totally ignored me. And I have to seek an advocate for them to listen. So that's when they listen. And when they said Hemel Hempstead, do you remember how you felt? I felt distraught. I was, my head was spinning. I don't know what to do because I couldn't get through to any of them. I tried to call them just to like, for them to change their mind and keep me closer to my family and support team. No one listened. No one picked the phones up. How does that feel? Um, it feels like they just tossed you somewhere and forget about you. It's like they throw you away like garbage. That's how it feels like. Stacy, can you talk me through the chain of events from being made homeless in Lewisham in South London to being moved here hours away to Hemel Hempstead? Okay. Um, I was threatened with my brother privately. And he eventually moved out, so the rent was left on me only. And I was struggling to come up with the money because I wasn't working at that time. I was pregnant, I wasn't working at that time. I went to the the midwife, put in the requests about the homelessness. They contacted me in November. In February, I got an eviction letter from the landlord. And I emailed the caseworker, the one that I spoke with, get through to him in March when I had already moved out of the property. They had put me into a hostel for the weekend and I have to move out the hostel the Monday morning and call them and when I call them any answer from them till way in the evening and that's when they gave me the address to come to MLM step in the evening. Big change very quickly. Yeah. It's no choice. <laughs> They left me, left me with no choice. Well, Stacey speaks very movingly on this and she says in there she feels that she has no choice and she doesn't really, does she? Tell us from your conversations with these families just what the impact is on them. Yeah, well, she doesn't have a choice because as we know from Rim's situation, if you say you're going to turn down an out-of-area placement, you could make yourself what's known as intentionally homeless, which means you forfeit the right to all state support. This is a really, really pernicious policy and it devastates people. But even though they know it's going to devastate them, they can't say no. Stacey had no choice but when she got the call to up and leave, because if she didn't, she could then end up with no support at all. It's like being between a rock and a hard place for people who have, through no fault of their own, been made homeless because a landlord has decided to evict them or put up their rent beyond what they can afford. And this isn't just my opinion that is devastating. There's a brilliant academic called Dr. Kezia Reeve. She's at she- Sheffield Hallam University. She's been a dedicated housing researcher for over 20 years, particularly looking at temporary accommodation, but also out of borough placements. And she has noticed that they isolate women from crucial support networks and leave them feeling punished, blamed 
and abandoned rather than protected and supported by the services, policies and legislation designed to help them. Now that's a direct quote from one of Dr Reeve's reports. I think what you really hear in Stacey's testimony there and what really came across to me when I was interviewing her is that she does feel like she's being punished. Mm. She feels ashamed of her situation but it's not her fault and that really came across in Blessing's interview too I think you know Blessing kept saying to me I don't expect anything I don't I don't want to just be given anything but what's the alternative when rents are so high that the benefits available to people in work who can't afford rent barely cover those rents and we don't have enough social housing I think I think this is really having a scarring effect on on the people who are impacted You've covered a lot in this job and we've spoken about your work many, many times, but I can tell how much this has shocked you. Yeah, it does. It, it has shocked me. I, 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 think, I think I'm never immune to how serious this is for people. And when I started reporting on the housing crisis and talking about my own experiences of it 10 years ago, my worry was that by the time I had said all the things I wanted to say, things would have improved and I'd be too late to, to you know, get, get an article out the door or get an investigation like this out the door. How wrong I was, actually, it's only got worse and that's what these numbers show and that's what the stories of the people behind the numbers show. This is not getting better in a decade of me writing about it. It's getting worse. And the political will to do anything seems to be lacking and I struggle I struggled with these stories and I should say you know it's not women and children are are particularly impacted by this because obviously children need to be near their schools that women with children need to be near their support networks but I recently met a man in Kent who was homeless and I believe he was an ex-offender and he had been moved by his council hundreds of miles away from where he was from now if you are leaving the prison system and you are trying to get your life back together and you'll move somewhere where you don't know anyone how are you supposed to do that thank you so much for joining us vicky and making the time to talk about this it's so important vicky's investigations like this latest one take time and they take effort To support this important work and get access to these features, along with news and analysis, do consider a digital subscription to I. We've got a special offer on. You can get a subscription for half the price at just £35.99 per year. That's just £3.99 a month and under £1 a week for our award-winning news, features and analysis. I, for Open Minds, subscribe today. You can find Vicky's investigation on inews.co.uk and keep up to date with all of her work on Instagram at vicky.spratt. I'm Molly Blackall. You can follow me on Twitter at Molly Blackall and on Instagram at molly.blackall. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.